and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today, we're talking to Dania Kakaka, author of Girl in Snow, about the boundaries between adult and YA fiction, character research and creating backstory, and why the most important thing for aspiring writers is to just keep going. When they told him Lucinda Hayes was dead, Cameron thought of her shoulder blades and how they framed her naked spine, like a pair of static lungs. They called an assembly. The teachers buzzed against the far wall of the gymnasium, checking their watches and craning their necks. Cameron sat next to Ronnie in the top corner of the bleachers. He bit his fingernails and watched everyone spin about. His left pinky finger, already cracked and dry, began to bleed around the cuticle. What do you think this is for, Ronnie said. Ronnie never brushed his teeth in the morning. There were zits around the corners of his mouth and they were white and full at the edges. Cameron leaned away. Principal Barnes stood at the, bo- at the podium on the half court line, adjusting his jacket. The ninth grade class snapped their gum and laughed in little groups, hiking up their backpacks and squeaking colorful shoes across the gymnasium floor. Can everyone hear me? Principal Barnes said, hands on each side of the podium. He brushed a line of sweat from his forehead with his sleeve, squeezed his eyes shut. Jefferson High School is in the midst of a tragedy, Principal Barnes said. Last night, we were forced to say goodbye to one of our most gifted students. It is with regret that I inform you of the passing of your classmate, Miss Lucinda Hayes. The microphone shrieked, crackled. In the days following, Cameron would remember this as the moment he lost her. The hum of the overhead fluorescent lights created a rhythm in time with the whispers that blossomed from every direction. If this moment were a song, Cameron thought, it would be a quiet song, the sort of song that drowned you in your own miserable chest. It was stunning and tender. It dropped, it shattered, and Cameron could only feel the weight of this melody, this song that felt both crushing and delicate. Fuck, Ronnie whispered. The song built and built and built a steady rush. It took Cameron six more seconds to notice that no one had a face. He leaned over the edge of the bleachers and vomited through the railings. Thank you so much for speaking to us. I I absolutely loved your book. Oh my God, I was gripped. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. It's so exciting. (laughs) It was so, like, yeah, so compelling. Like, just straight in, like, first page, just like, bosh. I'm not going to be able to concentrate on anything else now for, for a while. Yeah, it was, it was so great. Write more, write more. Hi, Dania. Uh, Hi. You. Hello, thank you so much for coming on to the Riff Raff podcast. We're delighted to have you on. Um, oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. How oh, good. And so for anyone who's yet to read Girl in Snow, can you give us an idea of what... Yes, I can. So Girl in Snow um, is set in a small town in Colorado where a high school freshman has been murdered. Um, It's told from the perspective of three people in her town. Um, The boy who loved her from afar, he maybe loved her a little bit too much. Um, The girl from her high school who hated her and the police officer who's investigating the murder case. Oh, it's so just it's it's having those three different perspectives. It makes it so intriguing straight away. Yeah. Good, yeah, thank you. Um, And as we understand it, you had originally intended the book to be a YA novel, is that right? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I I originally thought that if you were writing about teenagers, you had to be writing a YA novel. I have since learned that that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> what was it that that changed your perspective? Um, I think I had I started to read a lot of books that were about teenagers, um, but not for teenagers. Um, and I realized that a lot of the books that we treat as classics could be YA books if if you think of them that way. But but definitely aren't because the themes are too dark and the writing is too heavy and and things like that. So for example, I read um, The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Genetis, which deals with teenage lives in a serious and sophisticated way. And I had also read at a very young age, The Lovely Bones. And looking back at that book um, sort of made me think about genre and about what we're, what we're saying about teenagers when we're um, sort of like relegating them to a YA category. Yeah. So how far into the process were you when you kind of thought, oh, I'm going to switch this from the YA thing or? Many years. It was many years into the process. Um, so I, I wrote, um, I had a really unconventional, I think, writing process for this book where I wrote Cameron's perspective first. So Cameron's the 14 year old boy who stands outside Lucinda, the dead girl's window every night and like watches her. Um, if you ask me, that's true love, right? But I, I, um, I wrote his perspective first, and I wrote the entire book from his perspective and thought it was a YA novel, but it was missing something. So I added in um, Jade, who's a 17-year-old girl who goes to the same high school, also a teenage character. Um, And her sections came in for me after um, Cameron, so I wrote them into what I already had. And and at that point, I was able to finish the book, and I had a structure. It was mostly a novel. Um, So... I sent it to a literary agent. Um, well, I yeah, I, I had been working in publishing and sort of talking to this agent about it for a long time. And she read it and said, um, you know, I think this is actually an adult book. Let's talk about adding an adult perspective. And it was very short at the time. It was only about 50,000 words, which is really short for a novel. Um, and so there was a lot of room to add something new. And that was where Russ came in. And she and I sort of devised Russ together and wrote him together. And it was a really great experience to finally have someone else's head in the book. And hers was much of the reason I think that it was pushed into the adult realm. Mm. Wow, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Who was your who was your favorite character to write? Oh, I think probably Jade. She's just so angsty. She's just such a teenage girl. Um, like, I, I, it was so fun to just go deep into that feeling of like being 17 and thinking nobody understands you and looking longingly out the car window you know what I mean yeah I've oh, seen what you mean <laughs> I feel like I'm still like that now but I um I, I, right. I, I like the um the use of scripts that you used for her that was a really good way of kind of like expressing more of Jade's character which is really cool Thank you. Yeah, that was that was really fun to write. And I was able um, to get out a lot of her vulnerability using this. So she has these screenplays where she sort of is rewriting her life as it's happening, um, rewriting how she wants it to happen um, rather than how it's actually going. And, and Jade is such a hardened character and such a um, like stubborn teen that she would never tell you what she wants. She has to find this this form, this medium to tell you what she's really feeling. Yeah, it was a really nifty way of showing that. I really, really liked it. it was Thank super you. Super compelling. Um, so, how did you? Um, where did you? Where did the idea come from? Like, it's, it's, it's a That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. So the idea really started um, for me with the idea of Cameron's character, um, and and it's weird to 
being kind of like, I just, this person just came into my head and that's where the whole, the whole world stemmed out from him as a character. And what I think was most compelling to me about Cameron was the idea that he could be so sad and so messed up, um, in such an endearing way, but he also could have maybe committed this horrible crime. And as a reader, like, can you, can you love him anyway? Like, it's obvious that if you're his mother, you're going to love him anyway, but there there must be a part of that that lives inside of all of us, right? And has empathy for these people who can do horrible things. Yeah. And and how did you feel about him when you were writing him? Did you like him or did you just think of him just as a character and were just more intent on exploring him on the page? Yeah, I I love him. I have such a soft, sweet spot in my heart for, for Cameron. Um, I feel like he is just the sweetest and saddest little dude. Um, yeah can you guys hear me yeah, we can yeah, we can we can we can hear you uh, <laughs> bloody sky okay <laughs> okay I, you keep freezing but i'm just gonna keep talking just like yell if you can't hear Perfect. me <laughs> okay. that's Perfect. the right word yeah we, you, you're it's, it's mostly cool but if we freeze in a weird position we might just do that to freak just, you out just messing you. with yeah. you yeah <laughs> and, and so it is you know, it has it has moved on from being a YA novel. But mm-hmm. what advice would you give to people who um, are wanting to do that, or who are deciding, I've got this kind of manuscript. It's it's got teenage characters in it. I don't know whether to pitch it as YA or as adult fiction. Well, how would you, you know, what would you advise to make that distinction? That's a really great question. I guess I would think about the person who you're writing for. Like I had this moment where I realized that I am not writing for a 15 year old. Um, I don't, I like this. I, this book is maybe appropriate for some mature 15 year old readers, but it wasn't written for them. It was written for adults, um, who want to go back to that stage in life. Not even necessarily want to go back to it, but can appreciate the nostalgia and power and intensity of, of being a teenager. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's all about who's going to read it rather than who are the characters in it. Right, exactly. And, and I think it's how you write it, too. I think there are some ways in which YA, I think, is written differently than um, than adult novels. And there's like a certain um, tone or voice that YA writers are really good at that adult readers may or may not connect with. You know, there are so many books that, that bridge that gap. For example, The Perks of Being a Wallflower is a young adult book, technically, but Tons of adults have read and loved it, like Looking for Alaska. Um, there are these books that are are more than their genre, both in the YA and adult world. And I, I feel like sometimes that distinction is like a little harmful, but we have to know how to be able to talk about it. So, of course, it's necessary. Why do you think it is that YA kind of stuff, YA stuff, appeals so much to adults as well? I think, I mean, I think we're always trying to go back to that space. I feel like this is like, I mean, this is kind of depressing, but I, I do feel like when we're teenagers, like that's the most we'll ever feel, you know, like the first time you fall in love, the first time your heart's broken, the first time you drive a car, you remember those moments so clearly and so keenly. And as we get older, we all dull out a little bit. It's really sad, but I think it's true. Just maybe just not paying as much attention or just so busy that you're not as aware and you think that it's the be all and end all when you're that age, don't you? Whereas now you kind of got some perspective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. And and you started writing it when you were nineteen, is that mm-hmm. right? And then and then finished it when you were twenty four. Yes. So what changed in those years for you? And and did when you got to the end, did you had you 
got a different book from what you had when you started? Oh yes, that's such a great question. I felt definitely by the end like I had outgrown it in some ways, and I don't know if that was really a matter of age or a matter of having worked on a project for five years. I think it was probably a combination of the two, but that was much of the reason that adding Russ's adult perspective in was so satisfying to me, because I felt like finally it was I was able to tap into like a, a more adult mentality and previously I felt like I could only write about teenagers because I still was a teenager in some ways and to give myself permission to imagine an adult life was really gratifying. What, um, uh, what yeah. I found really compelling about it is how every single character has like a really interesting backstory you know mm -hmm. interesting backstories that kind of cast doubt on whether they do you know what how their kind of morals and their histories and and, like, and, and I don't know, I can't remember the last time I read a book where there was that much backstory. And like, I, know it's, I, know it's, I know it's not all back, it's not presented as backstory, it's presented as their story. But like, yeah. How, like, that, what, what was that process of coming up with those kind of, like, small, intricate ideas that just let, gave so much to the book? Like, that I'm really yeah. Yeah. Um, I love writing backstory. If I could write only backstory, I would, but my editor does not let me do that. <laughs> um, so I, those are the things that come really naturally to me. Um, those, those backstory, you know, this memory of the specific thing that changed you, because that's how life works, right? We all have these moments that become important and, and shape who we are. And I think when you're investigating the inner life of the character, it's important to know what those moments are. And I can't help but tell a reader what they are. Um, and actually adding all the other stuff was what was more difficult for me. Um, so, you know, when I turned, when I had a, a first draft of this manuscript when the book sold, so a first, like, final, final draft when the book sold, my editor said, you know, like, let's figure out where your plot points are because we have so much that's happening in the past that we have to, like, push it forward in real life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so much happens. So do you think it's really important for authors to, in order to create really robust, believable characters, do you think that creating backstory for them is 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 the way forward, or can it can you just come up with someone fully formed on the page? I think I think the writer absolutely has to know the character's backstory, and whether or not they tell that to the reader is kind of like a craft choice. Um, but as a writer, I think you have to know your characters like they're real people and like you've had their their memories yourself um, or else you won't know, you know, the tiny things that make them themselves. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, obviously, it's a multi-narrative piece, which is, is one of the like, most interesting genres, I think. I love that kind of stuff. It's, mm -hmm. It seems to be, from interviewing other, other authors, the sort of general consensus is that um, kind of three characters within a multi-narrative is all you should have. Yeah. Do you, do, do you agree with that, or do you think that? Um, do you reckon that now that you've done it once, you could maybe like whack in another couple? Yeah. Or just <laughs> I think I think there's danger in adding too many characters, only because you can't give a reader like their real inner lives and feelings if there are too many of them. I don't think there's ever a limit, though. I don't think anyone should ever say, you know, this many is too many, or um, you can't do it well from more than however many perspectives I'm sure there are books out there um that do it beautifully oh actually when I can think of a I don't know if it's come out in the UK yet it comes out here in the US it's called The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin um and it has four perspectives and they're all so well done um and they're they're blocked one like one two three four um so they're, they're stacked that way which I think is so interesting so I think if you if you're deliberate and you're playing with craft and with form in an intentional way you could do whatever you want <laughs> And you were saying earlier about um, kind of 
um, working out your plot points. And so I wonder, like, if you know, when you've got this much kind of detail, and then like, kind of like, it's you know, it's so fast paced. There's so much happening. Are you? Do you plan everything out? Are you kind of quite a planner, or are you kind of? Did you start off being kind of like a bit more of a wing, winging it, and then see what happened, or are you quite? I I really should be a planner. I should learn how to be a planner. It feels like it would make my life a lot easier. Um, But for me, it's most important that the characters are there and that the characters are real and the plot comes after that. And sometimes that's really hard. Like, I should have done so much more research than I did when I was drafting this book. I had to go back and do all the research, like, a thousand drafts in um, and then rewrite it all to add in the research. So things things like that I've learned from from this process are important to integrate from the very start. Um, I, I don't work off of an outline and I when I'm writing I, I always have the sort of structure in my head and the arc in my head and that's usually enough to get to a very messy end um, and then it's a matter of going back and figuring out how all the pieces fit together. What kind of research did you do? I know that you did a little bit with the police force, I think. But yeah. what would you advise authors who think, I need to talk to you know serious professionals in a particular field, but I've, I don't know anyone in that field, and I'm just mm-hmm. writing a fiction book, you know, is it okay? Can you pick up the phone? Do people respond to emails? How did you find that process? So I should, as I mentioned, I should have done my research a lot earlier than I did. I My first editorial letter, letter from my brilliant editor was basically like, so have you ever talked to a police officer? Like, I don't think this is how it works. Um, and I was like, you know what? I made it up and you can't make that up. Um, so I ended up for this, this process, I was lucky. I had a couple of friends back home, um, one who's like a friend from my like dance class in high school whose father was a police officer in small town Colorado. Um, and so I you know, sent her a message on Facebook and said, would your dad be willing to speak with me? And from there, he referred me to a couple other people. And my dad also knew someone. Um, so I think it helps to grow up in a community similar to the community I was writing about um, for, that, for that sense. But there was one point when I was first drafting this book, there was a plot point that is thankfully gone where Cameron himself gets arrested for the murder and he goes to a detention facility. Um, and I, I sort of realized I was writing outside of my realm and I was like, well, how does that look? How does an arraignment look? Where would they hold a 14 year old? You know, things like that. And for that, I was living in New York, um, over the summer and working as a waitress. And I walked into the precinct on Avenue C and I said, is there somebody I could talk to about this? Um, and there was a very nice officer there who like led me into the back room. He was like, this is the bar he would be chained to. And I was like, okay. <laughs> that was more yeah. information. How immersive. I yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Very immersive and very helpful for a plot point that ended up getting deleted. But yeah. <laughs> I suppose people like, obviously like they're going to like talking about that kind mm. of stuff, aren't they? And it's, yeah, it's nice to have that layer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And, and as I'm saying, you listen to music when you write. Is that mm-hmm. right? Well, firstly, that's amazing because I know we know a lot of writers who have to sit in absolute silence. I, wish that I could like yeah. listen to like rock music or something, but I need silence. It's well annoying. But I wondered <laughs> if you could talk a little bit more about that process. Like, how did you discover that right music is the thing that's going to get me there? And what do you listen to? And is it mm-hmm. whilst you're writing or kind of to get in the mood? 
Yeah, for me, it's really about like the tone of music and less about who I'm listening to or what song it is. Um, I think it, it stemmed from the necessity because I was writing. Um, I started this book when I lived in a dorm room with another human, um, and I had to put it in my headphones or else I would be like, you know, I could hear her like making her dinner. Um, so it, it came from a, a need for quiet in my own head. And then once I started listening to the same songs over and over again, as I was writing this one character, it sort of became like when I sat down, if I wasn't feeling it, I could listen to them and then remember the feeling of writing that character. And so for me, it's more about that. And I've, I've now sort of become better at making playlists, but they're by, they're by character and not by book so like for the new project I'm working on now I have I have two characters with very separate playlists and it's nice to be able to switch back and forth even like in an audio sense for them and is are those so cool. are those it is also are those songs <laughs> that like you think the characters would listen to or are they just the songs that that like for you represent those people it's, I think it's less about representation and more about the feeling that it strikes in you, that, that a song that a song strikes in you. So, for example, one of Cameron, one of the songs I listened to from the start for Cameron, one of the songs that I, when I heard, I would think about this character and like sort of like begin to empathize with him a little bit more was, um, it's called The Blower's Daughter by Damien Rice. It's yep, the yep. saddest song ever, right? Yep. It's so sad. And there's just something about it that's like longing and miserable and quiet. Um that really reminded me of Sweet Cameron. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like a super upbeat playlist then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, we read that you had written a YA novel before Girl in Snow that was turned down by publishers. Um, so rejection is obviously something that all authors go through. How did you deal with that? And how did you get back to writing? Yeah, and so I actually was, I was looking at... Um, Twitter this morning has a hashtag. Um, it's, I think it's called author stats, hashtag author stats. Um, and it, and it's, it basically shows like how many years people are working on something, how many rejections they have. And I was kind of trying to type mine out earlier and thinking like, wow, this is actually kind of crazy. So I, I wrote a book when I was 16 that I thought was great and was not great. Um, and I sent it out to agents and I was rejected by like a dozen agents. Um, and I thought, well, you know, but maybe this isn't the book for me. So I wrote another one, and I'm very embarrassed to say that it was Peter Pan fan fiction. So <laughs> from Tinkerbell's perspective, if you can horribly imagine that. Um, and, <laughs> and that one I finished and put it in a drawer because I looked at it and thought, like, wow, this was a bad idea. Um, but the, the third YA novel that I had written was one that, that people that you're probably talking about. And it was, um, it was like a paranormal YA book that I wrote when I was in college, um, and edited while I was in college, and I sent it out to, I was just counting this morning, I think somewhere between 40 and 50 literary agents, um, and they all rejected it, except for one, and she and I worked together for a couple of months on revising it, and eventually she rejected it too, and that was when I was kind of like, it's time to move on to another project, but it was really, um, I didn't start anything again for I think it was at least a couple of months. I was kind of like dejected, um, but I think it helped that I was in school and I was thinking about writing and talking about writing all the time. Um, but yeah, no one, no one is an overnight success, <laughs> which is what I have have 
you know, people think like, you know, you got so lucky on your first try. And I'm like, no, this is my fourth book. It's not my, not my first try at all. I mean, just to be clear, you've written four books. That's quite yes. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Thank no you. Some better out. than others, definitely. <laughs> well, um, what did you study? I studied uh, fiction writing. I was in I was in a program that was create your own major, um, and I, mine was called the art of the novel. So I was always really directed towards towards this. Yeah, create your own major. That sounds mm-hmm. amazing. So you can, yeah, it was great. So you can basically choose. You can like form your own syllabus. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was you could do truly whatever you want. It was um, NYU has a school called the Gallatin School of Individualized Study, and you can do truly whatever you want. Um, and for people who have a really strong sense of direction, it's great. And for people who don't, it can be not great. Um, I think it's a matter of just knowing exactly where you want to go with it. And it took me a little while to figure that out. Definitely, it's kind of like taking on like a PhD, but at kind of like yeah. college mm. level. That's so awesome. I don't think we have that here. I, do, I what, maybe, maybe we might maybe do somewhere. We probably do. We're but just not. <laughs> not anything that we did for sure. Yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I'm not going over there myself, just applying. Yeah. <laughs> and now you work as an assistant editor at um, mm-hmm. Riverhead Books. Um, do you think that the role has helped you? Um, in your journey to publishing or do you think it's been actually a bit more of a hindrance you're nodding your head as um, if to say yes it's been helpful <laughs> yes it's been very helpful it, but it's it's hasn't it definitely hasn't been easy i mean i it's truly just in terms of writing time it's really hard to write with a full-time job where you're also bringing manuscripts home over the weekend um but it's been totally worth it for me because I've been able to watch all of these amazing writers, like your favorite writer ever turns in a bad first draft and someone says, you know, this isn't quite working yet, but here's what is working and come back in you know, a year when it's better. And they do. And it, it goes through that process over and over and over until it becomes your favorite book, which is what I think is, is something that every writer should have the opportunity to see is the, is the idea that writing comes easily to nobody, even the most talented writers out there. It's not easy. Um, and, and everyone has to go through this constant process of revision. So that's been great for me. And also to be able to know, you know, generally how the process works, things to ask for, things to expect. Um, but then of course that comes back to to bite you a little bit. You know, I, I woke up one morning in like mid-May. The book came out in August and I sort of sat up in bed and was like, my trade reviews should come in this week, which <laughs> isn't something you should know. <laughs> well, I bet they were good. How, how did yeah, you they, yeah, it was great, but... <laughs> how, how did you find the, um, the pitching process? Because when we've spoken to... Um, other people that kind of work within the industry. We had a literary agent on the podcast as well, and she said mm-hmm. that she applied. She sort of submitted her manuscript under a pseudonym because she, hmm. she didn't want people to kind of know that she was in the industry. Yeah. Did you? Just yeah, I. It was really, really scary to be honest. I think being in the industry made it much scarier than it would be otherwise because I had my name attached to other things. But I was lucky that I had only been in my job for about a year. Um, so it wasn't like I was, you know, a big powerful editor sort of like, um, stepping out, um, onto the writing scene. So it was, it was helpful that nobody really knew who I was anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And what advice would you give for, um, any aspiring writers who are working on their manuscript now or who are thinking about picking up a pen or getting a laptop and, and starting? What would your be, you know, number one tip? And then number two and number three tips. <laughs> My number one tip is to just keep going. And I know that's kind of not 
a great inspirational quote, but it is, it is really true. There are so many moments when you're writing a book that just feel pointless and dumb and like you're, you shouldn't even be bothering because obviously it's not good. Um, and it probably isn't good yet, but if you keep going, you can make it good. And I think that that's, um, something that a lot of people, that's a face a lot of people don't get through. Um, and you just have to have like an internal desire to keep pushing through it. And actually the best piece of advice I've ever gotten myself, um, was from an older and wiser writer who told me, um, that you have to write what obsesses you. And I've never forgotten that because when you're sitting there in those, those awful moments of looking at this huge messy draft and realizing that it's going to take so much work. I think you have to have that internal sense of obsession and desire and like just a need to tell the story. And, and you also wrote, wrote around the busy day job. How do you, how do you fit that in? Um, early mornings, early mornings. Yeah. Um, it's not pleasant. I'm not a morning person, um, but it's been helpful for me to have that time constraint just in that I know if I don't get up in the morning that I have decided that I'm going to write, then I'm not going to write that week. You know what I mean? Um, and that's not really an option. I don't see that as an option. So it sort of makes you having a job for me, made me pull it together um, and do it possibly more effectively than I would have done it otherwise. Yeah. It must be yeah. um, like, I mean, as someone who clearly loves reading and writing and everything mm-hmm. involved in the process, it must be, both a, like a wonderful wonderful job like to just be immersed in it so much mm-hmm. like what are, you, are the times when you're just like I need to not be ingesting information <laughs> like what do you do yes yeah yeah oh definitely there are times when I'm like who lets me look at all the sales numbers for everybody like that should be taken away from me <laughs> but uh, and and there are times when stuff like that is overwhelming you know watching other authors go on to other successes is of course, always overwhelming. But for me, the thing that I've really realized is that in book publishing and in really any making art, there are just so many ways that you can succeed and that you can fail um, that comparing your path to anybody else's is totally fruitless because, first of all, you wouldn't have written their book. You can only write the book that you can write and you can only be the person that you are. Um, and so sort of accepting your own path, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah. And do you think that your path is going to remain within this genre? Or do you think that you, um, yeah, you might branch out a little bit? Um, I, I'm not totally sure yet. I'm working on something that is very unwieldy right now, and I surely couldn't tell you what it is. But I think the, the thing that interests me most as a reader and as a writer are, are books that deal with suspense in new and innovative ways. Suspense on, like, a really human level, less on, like, an action thriller level, um, but still novels of suspense so i think i can say it all saying that the riffraff podcast is hosted by co-founders amy baker and rosie Edwards. come say hey at the-riffraff.com